Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. Very special show today. This is Technology Revolution, the future of now. You just heard the voice of Ryan Treasure, VP of Broadcast Operations at Voice America, and my colleague, and he did a great intro. Thank you, Ryan. We are talking about a topic that not everybody's talking about, but they should be. We're going to be talking about the future of women in the military. Is mental toughness required? Yes or no? And if not, what else do they need? So we are excited to be live streaming the show on the Voice America Business Channel, audio worldwide, global audience. Thank you for listening and listening and listening to all of you. We're also live streaming the video. I'm here on Zoom. I can see these ladies. I I get to watch them think. I get to watch them talk, which is better than doing radio on the phone, which I did for the past 20 years. So there we are. We're streaming to Facebook and LinkedIn and saying hello to those audiences. So let me get started. I'm going to do my little monologue here, and then I will ask my esteemed guests to introduce themselves and tell us what's their passion for the topic. So I have a quote. Buzz number one is from army.mil. That's a website. And here's the quote. Listen up. Let's do a look back. During the Revolutionary War in the U.S., women served the U.S. Army in traditional roles as nurses, seamstresses for you young people, that's somebody who sews, and cooks for troops in the camps. Some courageous women served in combat alongside their husbands, or they disguised themselves as men, while others worked as spies for the cause. Though not in uniform, women shared soldiers' hardships, including inadequate housing and little compensation. So just let that be a little historical soundbite. Now let's go fast forward to a more modern quote I found from brookings.edu in an essay co-written by retired General Lori J. Robinson. You can look her up. L-O-R-I, Lori. And here's the quote. The U.S. military has been one of America's most progressive institutions, but it also embodies a traditional conservative and in some ways macho quotes around it culture. There was so much further to go and addressing issues of gender equality will not be easy. And that's why we're here today. We're going to talk about that with a little little nod to technology. We'll get that in there somewhere because this is Tech Rev. I have Colonel Deb Lewis, whom I met at the National Publicity Summit a couple months ago. She was on one of my other radio shows. Welcome back, Deb. And Deb is the honored guest who has engaged the other three panelists to join us today. So thank you, Deb, for your efforts behind the scenes bringing these ladies to us. We also have Major General Suzanne P. Varis-Lum, and she said I can call her Susie. I don't know. That doesn't feel very official, but I'm happy to do that. She's going to say hello <laughs> from Honolulu. We have former U.S. Army officer Donna Matura McAleer, who is the head of another organization she will tell you about when she introduces herself. And we have Chief Warrant Officer 5, Phyllis Wilson. And I'm going to ask them, ladies, just wave. Wave to our LinkedIn, and there we go. There you are, live and, and smiling. And uh, we're going to ask them to help me predict the future of women in the military. As I said at the beginning, is mental 
toughness required. So let's kick off this gathering. I won't say party. We can't have too much fun, right, Deb Lewis? Deb Lewis, I know who you are, and I think thousands and thousands of people do, but for my audience who may be new to you and you to them, would you please introduce yourself briefly and tell us what this is all about to you, what does it mean to you, and what's your background? I know it's fascinating. And Deb, and to the ladies, when you speak, I'm putting you on speaker view, and you will be seen full screen. So get ready. Deb Lewis, talk to me. Welcome. Aloha. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, ladies. I'm just so excited to be here with everyone. Uh, this is an amazing group we've been able to assemble today. And um, some people know me uh, just because I was in the first class that had women at West Point. And that was really something I did as an 18 year I said, I'll do this as an 18-year-old. <laughs> I had no idea I was entering a social revolution. Um, I knew that the, the experience would be tough, and I kind of got through the first day, but the second day, you know, they add layer on layer on layer of stress, and um, I kind of hit the wall and then had to figure out, you either figure it out or you fall to the wayside, and um, for whatever reason, I was successful in doing it, so I'm an, I became an engineer later because I am really curious about what works. I don't care about what fails. <laughs> when you see something fail, it's like, okay, if I need something from there, I'll take it to go forward. And I decided not just to be able to graduate. We had of 119 women who entered. We had 62 graduate. We now have over 5,000 women who have graduated. And we went from a tiny percentage of 62 out of 4,400 cadets at the time. And now we've, we graduate 25% of the classes are women. So it's amazing what, what the progress is. So someone's got to go first. And some of us, like you, Bonnie, <laughs> and the other ladies we have assembled, were like, okay, we'll go first. It's okay. And we did. And I stayed for 34 years after I entered West Point. And so it was not just tough in the academy. When I graduated, women had just been integrated from the Women's Army Corps. The WACS, wasn't that a funny acronym? They, <laughs> they were... And we go into the army and then it's like another, it's like deja vu. Oh my gosh, we got to, we got to figure this out again. And it was not easy as well going back into the army. And I went to a place called Fort Bragg and that was pretty macho with airborne and everything. And I did get to jump out of perfectly good airplanes, <laughs> but on my career, then I continued on and I was uh, 9-11 happened and I was in the Pentagon writing the regulations to keep people safe in buildings. And I survived that and learned what it's like to be absolutely attacked. And then I served in Iraq. And when we graduated, they thought women could do nothing physically, that we shouldn't be in combat and all those things. And I just always kept hearing these things and I'm someone to test it, I'll poke it. And I learned that, you know what? Women are pretty amazing and we work well together. We play usually very well with others. So that's kind of my career. And now I, in Mentally Tough Women is a company I formed because I believe mental toughness is essential to bring out the best in everyone. That's our job as leaders. That's our job as women. That's our job as citizens is our job is to bring out the best in everyone. And I love doing that. And it's not easy because our survival skills pull us back and tell us to be angry they tell us to be, to run away or to shut down. Thank so that's you, why I'm here. 
Thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad to know why you care, and I'm, I'm very proud to know you. And I will say to each of you and to all of you, thank you for your service. I know we thank say you. that to men who wear a military hat or a pin or a sweatshirt. I don't normally see a woman who identifies in every day as somebody who's in the military. So I'm doing my gratitude shout out to all of you representing all of them. There you go. I'm going to make it a group. Thank you, Susie Varislam. We'd love to hear from you. Take a couple minutes. Tell us who you are, what you do. What are you doing in Honolulu? You can say aloha. I'd love to hear that. I'm putting you on speaker view. Susie, welcome. Aloha. Thank you so much, Bonnie. It is an honor to be here with these distinguished panelists, uh, you know, and to hear Deb, I mean, what a hero. And uh, you as well, Bonnie. I, I'm the mobilization assistant to the commander at U.S. Indo-Pacific Command. Indo-Pacific Pacific Command is located here in Honolulu, Hawaii, Camp H.M. Smith, overlooking Pearl Harbor. Very historic location. And um, I serve as Admiral Davidson's, uh, you know, assistant and one of the areas that I'm um, really uh, connected to is Women, Peace and Security Initiative here at Indo-Pacific Command that really looks at gender perspectives in security realm, which makes sense. You know, 50% of the globe's made of women, and yet we don't have women represented in those security realms, whether it's natural disasters or crisis. Actually, women actually are victims of crisis and conflict more than any other population, yet we don't have the full representation. Only 15% of our force are really women. Uh, so now, you know, even the UN today, you know, we have a lot of peacekeeping missions that come out of this region in the Indo-Pacific. And many UN is requiring at least 15% of that UN peacekeeping force to be women because you can address those issues. And the other piece, so, you know, you've got to have women in these leadership positions in order to make these right decisions, to give the kind of advice and perspectives that you need to address the total population, not just 50% of that population. But, you know, I've been in 34 years and a couple things on first, you know, I don't, it, you know, today, this day and age, you don't want to have to say you're first, but actually mm -hmm. I'm the first woman to be in this position as a J00MA, first woman to be, previously I was in the five, the J5MA, you know, first woman to be the 29th Infantry Brigade S2, which is a senior intelligence officer of an infantry brigade. But, you know, here we are 2021 and I'm still the first. And I hope that I, I, I definitely will not be the last. There will be others to come and they won't have to say they're the first. We won't have to talk about this subject because we will be integrated in the future. Thank you very much, Susie. And when you're talking, I'm thinking first, first, first. But if we were just talking about people, it would be Susie is. And there are people in that role and she is doing it exceptionally well. We wouldn't have to say the first woman or the first person of color or the first Latin, Latin X. We wouldn't have to make those designations. We would just talk about people. I think that's far off, unfortunately, but that's something we can all work toward is recognition as, as people, diversity and inclusion, right? Susie, thank you also for your service. I'm thrilled to get to know you and you're in Hawaii. That's so cool. I bet it's, I bet it's much better weather here than North Carolina, although it's going to be 72 degrees here today. It's a shy. We'll be down to 30 again tonight. I don't get excited. Donna Matero-Mackler, so happy to have you on the show. Donna, I'm going to put you in speaker view, and we would appreciate your introduction. Tell us who you are and what you do. Donna. 
Well, good morning, Bonnie. Greetings from the back of the Wasatch Mountains in Park City, Utah. So not the view of Pearl Harbor, but the view of the Uinta Mountains, the only mountain range that runs east-west in the country. Well, I'm delighted to be here and honored to be among these pioneers. Um, I follow Deb's footsteps, uh, being on the vanguard. Deb was on the vanguard of women entering West Point. I followed a few years later. Um, unfortunately, I served my first tour in Germany, and um, none of these women or anybody who looked like me were in the ranks. And um, when you don't see people who look like you, mm -hmm. um, it's hard to pursue those dreams. Um, at West Point, there were only four women on faculty when I was a cadet. And so we didn't have examples of women who had families, who had a career, who were army officers. And so while I enjoyed my time in Europe and as an officer during the fall of the Berlin Wall, I decided to resign my commission and pursue an MBA at the University of Virginia, uh, the other school that Thomas Jefferson founded. Um, I, I went into the corporate world starting in consulting and then technology and running logistics for a hardware technology company. But then um, I got a little bit of a wild hair. I've always been a skier. I was a ski racer in college and decided to um, pursue my Olympic dream at age 34 and left my corporate career to try out for the women's bobsled team, which was making its inaugural debut in two, the 2002 Winter Olympic Games in Salt Lake. So I spent the next couple of years building a team and training. I finished fourth in the Olympic trials. The top two went and the number two US team won the gold medal in that inaugural um, Olympic Games for women's bobsledding. Um, following that, I got into coaching at a high school level, um, a girls volleyball team, and I was very concerned with who my young athletes looked up to as role models. It was the Paris Hiltons. It was a lot of these Hollywood uh, people that we were in the midst of kind of women, girls gone bad, women crazy, and sexual lore seemed to be the Rosetta Stone of confidence and self-esteem. And I decided, God, if they knew some of the women I knew who I went to school with at West Point and were serving in the army, maybe they would think about other choices. And I decided to pull those stories together in a book called Porcelain on Steel, Women of West Point's Long Gray Line. And that opened the door to a whole new realm of possibilities. Um, at shortly after that book was published, I was asked to be a technical consultant on a documentary film called The Invisible War. The Invisible War is a documentary that um, premiered in the 2012 Sundance Film Festival about the epidemic of rape and sexual assault in the military. Mm. And it was the film team who at that time suggested I run for federal office. And I said, why the hell would anybody run for federal office? Nobody gets anything done. And they're like, but you have a pretty interesting background. So long story short, I was a two-time nominee for U.S. Congress from Utah's first congressional district. Uh, this congressional district is one of the five most conservative politically in the country. 
um, ran two campaigns, uh, unfortunately lost both of them, but learned a tremendous amount in the process. Um, my focus has always been on having a meaningful impact. And I decided to return to the nonprofit sector. And now I run an organization called the Bicycle Collective. And we're an organization that promotes cycling as an effective, sustainable, and affordable uh, method of transportation and recreation. But what we do is we provide bicycles to people in need that don't have self-reliant transportation because without transportation, it's very difficult to change your economic status. So we work with a lot of newly arrived refugees, income eligible families, children, uh, individuals coming out of substance abuse and people experiencing housing and homelessness. And so um, we have, uh, in 2020 alone, we gave away almost 1,400 bicycles to people in need um, that have been able to use that as a means of liberation, freedom, escape, adventure, and a means of transportation. Donna, I stopped counting how many careers you've had in your lifetime. <laughs> I lost count. Bravo for everything you do, for your work on the nonprofit, for your caring, for your impact. Deb, I haven't even gotten to Phyllis Wilson yet, and I'm already blown away. <laughs> there's, there's, there, there are decades, there are centuries of, of content and quality in the three of you I've met, and Phyllis Wilson, and thank you, Donna. Appreciate you sharing your bio, and thank you for what you do, all you do. Phyllis Wilson is up next. Phyllis, join me. I'm putting you on speaker view. Go ahead, introduce yourself, please, Phyllis. Thank you so very much, ladies. This has been, I'm, I'm bowled over. And uh, what you feel or have a sense if you come of a certain age that you have accomplished a few things. I listen to you and I am suffering severe imposter syndrome right now sitting with you. But uh, as a warrant officer in the <laughs> army, you can fully appreciate I get down to brass tech. So here we go. I joined the army and turned 21 in basic training because I didn't understand and thank goodness I didn't know about student loans. I was trying to work my way through college um, and I came up for air one time just before my 21st birthday and realized at the rate I'm going, I'll be 25 before I have an associate's degree. This was not the pace that I expected my life to, to go. So I went to the recruiting station uh, talked with several different recruiters, and the Army was the perfect fit for me. I wanted to become a German linguist because my dad had been born and raised Amish, and I got an enlistment bonus to join. So I ended up at Lake Donna. My first assignment was in Germany in the 1980s when the Berlin Wall, the, the, the Iron Curtain was still standing, and our job was to protect against the Soviets that were coming through the Fold the Gap. This was an, an amazing time in my, my life in my young 20s, met and married another soldier, had two little boys while we were over in Germany. And this is when the crux of things start to change, I think for many women in the military to the point that I've heard earlier, the decisions you have to make along the way, especially in a very tactical environment. And when I say tactical, I mean, you're, you're away from home, you don't sleep in your own bed, which means you have a babysitter watching your children two and three weeks a month. Mm. So your entire paycheck goes to childcare. And when you come home sometimes from being out in the field, as we call it, um, your child will turn away from you and cling to the babysitter. Ouch. 
yes. It's not a good feeling at all. And then when you have to go to schools, which are mandatory along the way to continuing education, um, you're gone for six and eight weeks and they don't even, <laughs> I mean, they cry when you take them, pull them away from somebody else. This was the, the tipping point for me. I decided I had served four years. I was going to get out, go back to college, become a registered nurse, which I ultimately did in a very circuitous route. But I stayed in the Army Reserve. And along the way, in the late 80s, I became an Army Warrant Officer. I was intel, my technical skills I had maintained, um, both language and my proficiency on the signals intelligence side. So the technology was very important to me coming up and through. And then, of course, the first Desert Shield, Desert Storm happens. My mm -hmm. husband was assigned to Fort Bragg, mm -hmm. and he was with 82nd, so they shipped very quickly in August of 1990. I was working as a nurse with two little boys, um, and my phone rings and tells me I'm reporting as an Army Reserve soldier to Fort Bragg in five days. Well, you have a family care plan. You do all the things you have to do. You get through all of this. I did three years on active duty and returned back to my civilian life and an Army Reserve soldier. And then 9-11 happens. And fundamentally, from then until early 2018, I was pretty much full-time soldier um, serving in great roles, and again, first, I was the first woman to be a command chief warrant officer of any component of the United States Army, in this case, the Army Reserve. Um, and it was an awesome opportunity and eye-opening of sort of, to, to Donna's point, what happens at federal level, what happens in the top tiers, it's shocking. Not in a bad way, it's, but you don't feel that you yourself are necessarily prepared for it. But I don't know that anybody is. It's sort of a fly by the seat of your pants feel for the first part of any of those jobs. And then ultimately, when I retired from the Army after 37 years, mm. I uh, decided that I was going to not work for a little while just to prove that I didn't have to, which is so liberating, I must tell you. But ultimately, what you see in my background here behind me is the Military Women's Memorial, which tells the story of the three million of us that have defended this nation, for, to your point, Bonnie, from the Revolutionary War mm -hmm. till today. And I am so fortunate now to serve as the president of the foundation that operates and maintains this incredible place located at the ceremonial entrance to Arlington National Cemetery. Phyllis, impressive, impressive, impressive. And I'm going to say to all of you that the question of the day, what is the future of women in the military? I think you all just answered it. I'm going to go out on a limb not very far and say the future is all of you. It's the paths you have forged. It's the credibility you have created. It's the ground you have shaken up. It's the people you have impacted. It's the creativity you've brought to your jobs and your commitment to do your jobs well over so many years. Deb, I just did, oh, give yourselves a round of applause. I don't usually do this on the show. Come on, ladies, this is, this is ridiculously impressive. Donna, put those hands together. There you go, there you go. Um, I just calculated, I think I heard 34 year career in the military is one, 33 in another, 37 in another, I lost track. So we're over a century 
of military commitment and experience. You're, you're all very young women, so don't take that personally. But they want to look at the video. OMG, there you go. Let's lighten this up a little bit. We're going to go to the quotes very briefly. I've asked my panelists, in case you're new to Tech Rev, I asked my panelists to send me a quote from a movie, a book, or a song, or a, not a book, a movie, or a song, or a TV show, uh, because we want to we want to engage the audience with some cultural references and find out what's important to the people on the panel. And we want you to say, oh, I know that movie. Oh, I know that song. These quotes have absolutely nothing, zero, zilt to do with our topic on the surface, literally. And I'm going to ask Deb and Susie and Donna and Phyllis to each in their own words, right here live on the air on live stream to relate the quote to our topic of the day very briefly because we want to get to predictions. Your bios are so extensive and so so impressive. We had to cover them all. So Deb Lewis sent a quote from Wonder Woman, the 2017 American superhero film based on the DC Comics character produced by DC Films. And what's important about that is that it was directed by Patty Jenkins, one of the preeminent female movie directors. And I have the whole scene. Donna, may I read the, the Steve, Diana dialogue here? Is that okay? Donna? I'm sorry. Deb, 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 Deb. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I apologize. Here we go. So Steve, (laughs) I apologize. I'm getting my D's mixed up. Steve, Steve Trevor, played by Chris Pine, says, this is no man's land, Diana. It means no man can cross it. All right. This battalion has been here for nearly a year and they barely gained an inch. All right. Because on the other side, there are a bunch of Germans pointing machine guns at every square inch of this place. This is not something you can cross. It's not possible. And Diana Prince, played by Gal Gadot. Israeli actress, quite beautiful, says, so what? So we do nothing. Shall I stop there, Deb? You want to take it from there? Well, you can, that, that's, you're doing great, but I'll <laughs> say, and then he says, no, we're doing something. We are. We just, we can't save everyone in this war. This is not what we came here to do. No, this is Diane, Diana. No, but it's what I'm going to do. Now, anyone who goes, they have a lovely clip on this scene with uh, Wonder Woman. And every time I watch it, I get choked up because that, that's how my career felt. She, in the scene, she cares so much. She's hearing the cries of the people. She's hearing the challenges that are around. She's an empath. She, she knows what's happening. And, and people are telling, well, no, we can only do this. We can't do that. And, and that's, that's describing my career. And, and she says, no, but this is what I'm going to do. But she doesn't do it in a blaming way. She does it in a forging ahead way, a mentally tough way. She goes out. It, she's never about trying to put anyone down. She's about blazing that trail. And she goes out there. And then you see the rest of them fall in at particular times to, or in order to make progress. And sometimes someone does have to go first and it can hurt like hell. And it can, and you can see when you're well protected and you're well trained, then you can handle the onslaught of attacks that people will do for you. People mm-hmm. who want to make a difference, they don't understand it's an extreme sport. You have to be well equipped. You have to be skilled. Donna would never do the bobsledding if she didn't have the training and the equipment and, and have a team that was well trained. And so I think that's the way we have to move forward. It's not about where you came from or what you didn't have or what you lost. It's about what's possible. And I I think that when you feel that and you see that scene and then you, I'll get choked up. You see her succeeding. You see her breaking through. I've had that breakthrough with people who have said, 
oh, just leave them alone. They're never going to work out or you just need to fire them. And I would work with them and then you'd see what brilliance was there. It's just they didn't understand how to move forward. And I think that's where we are today. Thank you, Deb. Very, very interesting. I think you said, and this is a a quotable moment, Deb Lewis, you said, breaking ground, being a leader, being the first is an extreme sport. I like that. I think that's a very notable quote. So, Deb, when I send you the audio for for the show at about 11, let's say about 28 minutes in, you can find that and you can use that one. Okay, write that down. Thank you, Susie. I'm going to go to your quote next. This is a quote from Citizen Soldier. By Three Doors Down, an American rock band formed in 1996. They've been described as post-grunge and alternative rock, edging on soft rock, hard rock, southern rock. I don't think they can make up their minds, but I'm sure it's an interesting sound. Their lyrical content contains overarching themes of angst, rebellion, revenge, yearning, and abandonment. And here's the line. The strongest among you may not wear a crown. Susie, tell me more. Well, you know, this song, again, you know, was, con- you know, made for the National Guard. I've been in you know, Army Reserve, National Guard, and active duty. I've been all three components of the Army. So, you know, this song talks about a typical farmer, um, you know, this during the, they show a scene in the video of the Revolutionary War where an average common farmer stood up to protect and defend, along with many women who are not highlighted, unfortunately, in this video. But, um against the British crown, right? So this very common person, but really this speaks to me because, you know, oftentimes women are in that same boat, right? We don't see the strength and courage that's there. That's, you know, among this population of 50% of the globe stands courageous heroes who are hidden, who just need to be told that you are, you can stand up, you are strong, and you can do it. So, I, I, you know, this really speaks to me because I feel that oftentimes women are o- overlooked in the military. And I think that was touched upon by, by Deb as well. Um, but, I, you know, having women being in places where you can see what you can become. Because as, as it's been said before, sometimes you can't see, you can't become what you don't see. So if you don't have vision for the future, mm-hmm. you can't become it. Thank you very much, Susie, and thank you for introducing me to that group. I'll have to take a listen, as they say on the news. It used to be listen. Now it's take a listen. There you go. Thank you, Susie. And let's go to Donna's quote. Donna, I'm going to hum a, a bar here, and then we'll give the quote. And the song is da 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 I'll stop there. The quote is from Tapestry by Carol King, 1971. Happens to be the 81st best-selling album of all time. And I think I still have the album, Donna, somewhere <laughs> in a box of long-playing vinyl. Yes, you can still get it, but I don't know how you're going to play it. I have a record turntable, but it's not hooked up. The cover photo was interesting, was taken by A&M staff photographer Jim McCrary at Carol King's Laurel Canyon home. She's sitting in a window frame holding a tapestry that she made by hand and her cat Telemachus is at her feet. That's the iconic picture on the cover. And here is the quote. My life has been a tapestry. I'm going to cry, Donna. How could you make me cry on live radio? My life has been a tapestry, a rich and royal hue, an everlasting vision of the ever-changing view a wondrous woven magic in bits of blue and gold, a tapestry to feel and see, impossible 
to hold. Donna, take over. I'm in tears here. Go ahead, Donna. <laughs> you, you got me crying. You got me crying too, Bonnie. It's it's a lot easier to write that than read it. And I certainly I certainly won't sing it. Um, I don't have the the uh, vocal talents that uh, some of my classmates do. Um, so not only is Tapestry the 81st best selling selling album album. And yes, I used to have the 33. I wish I still had the vinyl because now my daughter is into actual records. And I remember giving everything away when I went digital. Um, But this year was the 50th anniversary of Carole King's album Tapestry. And why this quote really speaks to me, and I would imagine the others on this call, is because Carole King, at the time she wrote this, um, went through a major life transition, moving across country, uh, acrimonious divorce, Mm -hmm. and the start of a new career trying to get into the music industry. And it's really about looking back on an eventful past, um, which I think with all of us, um, when we started in the military, and now looking forward and moving towards these ephemeral and actual new sensations. I mean, the fact that we now have 25% um, women graduating at the service academies, we have almost 60% graduation rates at the professional level of graduate schools of degrees being earned by women. Um, Women are 51% of the population. We're finally starting to see women coming into the senior most leadership positions. Um, Hopefully very soon, we're gonna have two new four-star generals, the most qualified officers for these positions, uh, Lieutenant General Laura Richardson of the Army and uh, Lieutenant General um, Van Ostern of the Air Force, um, whose promotions have been held up. These are the most qualified women and we need to have women in these senior most positions we've got 14 four star positions in the military and none are held by women we know from all the empirical literature and what we've seen on the battlefield that diverse groups make better decisions Mm -hmm. and this is why that knowledge that experience that perspective is really important and this quote from Carol King really speaks to me in terms of the future of the military. I think the opportunities for women are limitless. It doesn't mean they're easy. It doesn't mean it doesn't require mental toughness. But now all, all MOSs, all military occupational specialties, are open to women in the military. Um, that was not the case when the four of us entered the Army in the 80s. Uh, Most positions were gender coded, meaning that women could not even apply. Um, That all changed in the last several years. And we can talk a little bit more about that later. Thank you very much, Donna. Love the quote. Love the song. Love the memories. And I saw Beautiful on Broadway, the Carol King story. And it was very moving. The things you didn't know, the details, the angst. It was, it was very, very interesting. I think I saw it with the second lead actress who was playing. I don't remember her name, but she was very, very good. Beautiful, beautiful story and wonderful writing from Carol King. Phyllis Wilson has sent me a quote from the movie Secretariat 2010. 
Can you believe that was 11 years ago? American biographical sports drama film produced and released by Walt Disney Pictures, and the character of Penny Chenery is played by Diane Lane. The film chronicles the life of thoroughbred racehorse secretary at winner of the Triple Crown in 1973, Diane Lane plays her secretariat's owner, Penny Chenery, who takes over the Virginia stables of her ailing father despite her lack of horse trading, horse racing knowledge. Uh, the film actually earned $60 million and the budget was a mere 35. I wonder if having such an actress like Diane Lane in such an interesting role helped that. Here's the quote. This isn't about going back. This is about life being ahead of you and you run at it because you never know how far you can go until you run. Phyllis, love the quote. How'd you find this one? Go ahead. This happens to be my most favorite movie. I had visions as a child um, and a young adult of going to the Olympics as an equestrian. And so at the, I was 13 when Secretariat won the Triple Crown and I was so enamored with Ron Turcotte, the jockey, and I really didn't understand the backstory. And certainly, I guess I never noticed on television up in the stands, Penny Chenery was up there until I saw this film come out. And I have a lot of grandchildren. I have 12 grandkids. And so I need Disney films um, to keep them, (laughs) you know, busy when, when I'm spending time with them. And this is just one of those, it's at a point where her brother is coming in, you know, he's a, uh, an Ivy League economics professor, and he's coming down there to t- read her the riot act. Her dad had just passed, just passed away that day. And he came in mm-hmm. to tell her that, you know, we're going to have to sell the farm, we're going to have to sell the horses. And the um, secretary had just won horse of the year as a two-year-old. And she's like, no, he's going to run as a three-year-old. He's, he, he can do this. And he's like, why do you insist on going for this? Why can't you just let it be? And she, that's when she said, it isn't about going back. It's about running into the future and seeing. Because life is full of regrets without trying as hard as you might. I don't want to look back and say, I wish I had. And, and to this point, all of us in the current military, well, that our era, jumping out of airplanes was about as good as it got. And so jumped out of airplanes, loved doing it. But, but now that they can be rangers and they can be infantry combat leaders and you know, all of the opportunities, everything is open. If you're good enough to qualify, you're good enough to do it, regardless of gender. And I think that's really, I feel like <clears throat> women like us have run for it. And as a result, whether we meant to be trailblazers or not, it has led to the trail is wide open now for the women to continue to follow behind us. Thank you, Phyllis. That was a beautiful quote. As a matter of fact, I have a note here from Donna. She said she had a poster of Secretariat in her room as a young girl. Thank you, Donna. Don't we love the chat on Zoom where you can text notes to each other? Speaking of texting, I've just told you all that we're going to the predictions now. You've all written four predictions to me. I really appreciate the effort you've gone to, and I want to cover as many as possible. So let's keep your prediction explanations to about a minute and a half to two minutes apiece, and let's see how much ground we can cover. I've learned so much already, and I know our listeners have, but let's focus on the predictions. Uh, of the future of women in the military. And as I say, they should all be like the four of you. So Deb Lewis, prediction number one, while not perfect, she says the military will continue to lead the country as an organization striving to achieve gender equity, becoming a meritocracy for all. Deb, 
minute or two, go ahead. Well, I, I just think you've heard from these brilliant women and, and can see, and I know Donna talked a little bit about it too. I mean, I think people will say, oh, well, they're not necessarily um, got a reputation of being that way. But the reality is, is that that's where things, when laws change, that's where it was integrated first. My dad had one of the first black units that was in, um, that was in Korea. And they, they were brilliant. And you have a brilliant leader. You work together well. There's not even a question of talent. I mean, impressive talent. Um, and, and then I think that's people that had such low expectations of the women. And, but yet they allowed us to do it. And we have pay equity. We are paid for our positions. Whereas there's this women's equality payday. We already have that. But for women this year, it's supposedly 24 March, which means women have to work longer to get the same pay for the same job for the, you know, for that job. And for other women, like women of color, like black women, it's still horrible. They, they, in 2019, for black women, it was 13 August that in the same job, they weren't being paid. And so I think that you're going to see that we continue to strive. And when you hear about cases, it's when you think about that, I think about society is probably 10 times worse or much worse, but we talk about it in the military and we address it and we, and we may not be perfect at it, but we're constantly striving to make that possible. How could I have gone from joining a military where they, where they're, all the protests were about women should never go to the military academies and then I graduate and they're still saying women should never go to combat. And then years later, I'm leading a $2.1 billion construction program in the middle of the conflict in Baghdad and in Al-Ambar provinces. And yes, we succeeded doing things no one would have believed we could do. So I think that the military absolutely gave me that opportunity. And I would never have asked for it back then. <laughs> I want to do it. If someone had told me way back then, that's what you're going to be doing, I would have gone, what? what? But if I hadn't had those hard lessons, I wouldn't have been able to survive and also thrive in those intense environments. That's where real change happens. The future is being a mentor, being a role model, being a trailblazer, being a pioneer, leading by example, and just go get it done. Right? So what do they say? Don't ask for permission. Ask for forgiveness later. Just make stuff happen. Right? And That's why I get yelled at a lot. <laughs> stuff is not the word. I do too. Stuff is not the word I was going to use, but also starts with S. Let's move to Susie. Prediction number one. I'm going to keep these really short. Susie, you wrote, as we evolve and more men in senior leadership positions see themselves as mentors to women as well as men, we will see women in the military grow. However, gender equity and equality efforts must involve male, and I think the word is allyship. Can you help me with that, Susie? Talk to me. And unmute, please. Absolutely. It's allyship. Absolutely. Thank you. But I think we're on a momentum of positive change. You know, there have been two significant books that have been written, Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies, and also Athena Rising, How and Why Men Should Mentor Women by Brad Johnson and David Smith. Uh, Naval War College uh, faculty, and this was on the reading list of U.S. Indo-Pacific Command. You know, and our Pacific Command here is the largest and oldest combatant command, and all of the senior leaders, majority of them are men, but yet they understand that really if you want to achieve and tap into that talent of the other 51%, 50 or 51%, then we need to, to invest in mentorship. 
And I think we see a positive movement into the future. And so we need to keep this discussion going. Thank you very much. And we are, and that's why you're here. And I'm so impressed and so happy. Donna, I'm looking at prediction number two. I like this because it mentioned something we talked about a little bit before, and I think we need to focus on this. Donna says, military combat readiness will be significantly enhanced by the promotion of more women to the senior most positions. Donna, talk to me. So again, as you've heard um, this panel talk about, and we've seen in the empirical literature, Diverse groups have better outcomes, whether it's small unit teams um, or larger units or departments of companies. Those that have diverse perspectives of gender, of experience, of perspective have better outcomes. We're getting to that point. Um, the There was a really critical piece. I mean, there's been numerous times in history, but with women in the military, um, in 2013, we embarked on the Women in Service Review, and I served on the Defense Advisory uh, Committee for Women in the Service. And that, that whole effort was looking at rescinding what was called the Combat Exclusion Rule. It prevented women from serving in positions that were in direct combat. Not to mention, there were plenty of women on the battlefield holding positions, but they weren't getting credit for it. After this Women in Service review, in December 2015, then Secretary Secretary of Defense Ash Carter lifted the combat exclusion rule. Something very significant happened that summer. Lieutenants Chris Grice and Shea, Shea, Shea Haver graduated Ranger School in August of 2015. When those two soldiers earned their Ranger tabs, the game changed completely. We saw women had the mental toughness, the physical strength, and the determination to do anything any other soldier could and could be the best soldiers possible. We've now had 59 women graduate from Ranger School, and there are 12 in Ranger School right now. We have women who are in the armor branch, in the infantry branch, um, and they're ascending in the ranks. And as shared earlier, we now have two senior generals, three stars who are soon to be promoted to four stars and likely to take combatant commands within the next year. This brings better thought, more experience, different experience to the strategic table. Thank you, Donna. Great to have the statistics and keep us up to date. And thank you for talking about that rule. Moving on, Phyllis Wilson, prediction number one. We're going to tie this to our show title here. Technology rears its head in her prediction. She says technology will become the ultimate equalizer. STEM careers, we're going to talk about that for a second, will be game-changing for the military. Women have led in many tech fields long before they were recognized for their technical contributions. And I'm thinking of Grace Hopper and other early tech people. Go ahead, Phyllis, talk to Absolutely. You. And of course, at the Military Women's Memorial, we get to tell all of these incredible stories. Let's go all the way back to World War I. There was a group of women called the Hello Girls because they were <laughs> telephone operators, switchboard operators. General Pershing, in charge of all of our forces in World War I, he requested that they send some women over to France that were fluent, bilingual, French and English, that were also, they were brought in as part of the army. 
and they served and they translated or they, they found that our dexterity skills on switching and multitasking, hey, we're a little different than many of the men are. Our ability to connect multiple phone calls was much faster than any of the males that they had. So what they were able to do, according to General Pershing, they curtailed, shortened the war in his belief by at least one year. Shortened World War I because 235 women went over there and connected the main front, the men fighting with weapons on the front lines back to the ones that were making decisions. If somebody was being flanked and they were getting overrun, they could get resources to them quicker because of what they were able to do. That was the beginning, really, of our technological advances. And it's been continued ever since, whether you see Hidden Figures, the movie, mm -hmm. or you go on down the line. Women have continued to break down, but you know we're supposed to have been um, the barefoot and pregnant kind of a mentality in the kitchen. And mm -hmm. the idea that we had something between our two ears that would actually outcompute many men was not something that was well accepted, obviously, back in the day. But I really believe STEM of the future is that equalizer because it doesn't matter whether you're a 220-pound linebacker or 120-pound, uh, you know, marathoner. It doesn't matter when it comes to STEM. I think we, we can break a lot of those paradigms through what we can bring to the fight. Thank you, Phyllis. Deb, what a great round of first predictions from all four of you. I'm still so thrilled, Deb, that you've invited these People. I didn't say women. I didn't say ladies. I didn't say these people to join us today on this topic. Let's see if we, let's see, we've got seven minutes left to the show and I need a minute to close. So let's hit one more prediction each. I'll read it quickly. I have one picked out for Deb and one for Susie and I'll put one in the chat for Donna and Phyllis. So Deb, let's do this really quickly. Unless we build stress skills instead of reinforcing survival mode thinking, we'll continue to fall short of women's potential, tremendous potential. Deb? Just take 60 seconds. What's this about? I, I just think that we, I, I really didn't have a clue about this one until I got into the business of mental toughness, but st survival thinking, think about it. If you, if you have people saying, oh, you should be angry or, you know, you should protest this or you should do that. To me, that's like the military going to battle. It's the last option. It's not the first option. The first option is work together. And until we quit reinforcing survival mode thinking, which is so hardwired into our bodies, if you have an unmet expectation, people will get upset first, most likely, instead of saying, hmm, that's very interesting that you said that, How, and then talk about it more. That's what happens when you have mental toughness skills and have stress skills, because stress is something that you know the best performers. Those are the ones you want to come to and you feel safe for. They don't come into a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Mrs. Hyde, you know, when stress happens. <laughs> we, want to, we want to always use our best thinking, and you can't do that if you do not understand how to handle stress. Police, fire, military, you know the professions. There's many. So that's where, that's where the skills have to come in. And we know this, but yet the perpetual culture is emphasize and reinforce survival mode thinking, which gives us those three choices. 
Thank you, Deb. I'm remembering when I started stand-up comedy years ago, I got good advice from somebody. When I did a piano recital when I was 10, they said, use your nerves, use your agita, use your adrenaline to power through, don't medicate, don't hide, don't cry, go out there and kill. And I wasn't holding a weapon, just a microphone. What can I tell you? Let's go on. Susie, I've got a great prediction from you. Let's see if we can do it in 60 seconds and we can get one more in from each of you. Across all the services, we see women leaving the military service at mid-career point. Susie, talk to me. Yes, so just as you heard Phyllis, family. Oftentimes, that's the number one thing that we hear young women say. I have two children. My husband's military, just so it's just like Phyllis, dual military, got to make choices, got to make decisions. So if we don't change policies to promote and ensure that there's opportunities for women to, after we've invested in their talent, we have fighter pilots who F-22, F-35, and when they have children, they feel like, okay, I can't fly anymore. I need to get out. Um, But There are options like New Zealand and Australia. They allow women to take about two years off during those key times. If we believe in family and we believe in talent, then we can make this happen. It's not incongruent to have these two things together. Oftentimes like, oh, well, no, we're not going to do that. So anyway, I believe that we can make policies in place to make sure that we can maintain and retain our mid-career level officers. Thank you very much. Donna, I'm looking at prediction number three. Let's keep this tight, but it's interesting you say, when the military realizes the principle of critical mass can improve public perception, they'll work to attract and promote more women to the senior most levels. You've already talked about the opportunities in four-star generals, but just briefly tell us about critical mass. Donna? So critical mass is a concept that's moved from science and sociology to political science and popular culture, right? It's borrowed from nuclear physics, which refers to the quantity needed to start a chain reaction, irreversible propulsion in a new situation or process. So the key to changing how women are perceived and promoted is to reach critical mass at the senior levels. Let's think of the Supreme Court. You have one woman, that's newsworthy. She's the first. You have two, it's better, but it's still the exception. Three, okay, now you got one third. You've got critical mass. One in three, it stops being the exception and becomes normal. That's what we need. So 14, 14 four-star positions. When we start seeing three to four women in these positions, it will not be unusual. It will not be newsworthy. It will be our standard course of prosecuting wars and ensuring um, our national security. Thank you, Donna. Let's squeeze in prediction number four from Phyllis. She's pouncing, ready to pounce on it. Societal norms will recognize the strengths found in women that fit perfectly within the armed forces, the argument of brains over brawn, as well as female sensitivities to warfare. Sorry about that, Phyllis. Will be proven inapplicable to the manner in which we wage war. I'm hoping, Phyllis, that we don't have to wage war, but we know it's still a reality in civilization. But Phyllis, take 45 seconds. We're almost out of time. Go ahead. So we do always have to obviously train for war. The best offense is a strong defense, obviously. But let's be mindful that nearly all of the people, a higher percentage, 80% of those that join the military are enlisted. And those that's where we find the majority of our women as well that don't have, they can never aspire, well, they can, but the likelihood of them becoming a very senior four-star general is unlikely. And also they have more struggles because the pay is poor. They have all of the, the 
issues that I think we have to carry for another topic, another day. But they are strong, our, our Silver Star recipients, enlisted women. And we have to continue to talk about what they're carrying on their shoulders that are breaking down more barriers than any of the four of us have done so far. Thank you, Phyllis. Well, the four of you have broken down a lot of barriers. I want to thank Colonel Deb Lewis. Applause for Deb for bringing the four of you together and introducing you to me. I'm absolutely honored and privileged, Deb. Thank you for entrusting these people to me to host the show. Thank you to Major General Suzanne P. Varaslam. Thank you, Susie, former U.S. Army officer and trendsetter Donna Maturo Mackler. Thank you, Donna, and Chief Warrant Officer 5, Phyllis Wilson. And here's a note to everybody listening. If somebody says to you, Ah, the future's already here. Look at all the quotes. Look at everything going on. You say, no, I listened to Technology Revolution with Bonnie D. Graham. The future of now hasn't happened yet. It's going to come. And guess what? We're all going to make it a better one. Everybody wishing you safe, secure, happy, healthy 2021. Let's hope for a hell of a better year than last year. And I'll simply whisper this quietly. Wear your damn mask if you're going to be around other people or in your pod. Everybody have a good day. Bye-bye. <laughs> Wave, ladies. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh